Hello, everyone. Today we have Patricia Watwood talking about her great new book, The Path of Drawing, recommended by everybody here at the show. And in addition, as always, we recommend Trekkel, T-R-E-K-E-L-L, for all of your painting needs. They are shipping now. Go to their website, trekkel.com. T-R-E-K-E-L-L, one K and two L's. One K, double L. I think it's fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. So it's recording right now. Just, just I'm declining. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Patty and I in silence. And you hear us like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's uh-huh. like great. my finger the that's whole time. That's a good point. <laughs> that was a brilliant idea that you just didn't share. We're good. recording a podcast, but none of us consent to the recording. <laughs> Welcome to well, Suggested Donation. I'm... anyway yeah we could start if you want to start up let's do it teddy rocksman i just did i said welcome to suggest a donation i'm edward minoff and i'm tony serenai tony serenai and we're joined by uh artist teacher and author patricia watwood whose new book the path of drawing is out now on bookshelves everywhere hey guys the full title, The Path of Drawing, Lessons for Everyday Creativity and Mindfulness. I have my copy right here. It's a mouthful, right? All of those words together. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. Could I just say quickly, excited. even before we get into this, and I just, I can't, I can't wait. I can't not say this first before we start. How unbelievably proud I am of like my friend Patty. <laughs> that this book, like when it showed, like when it showed up at my, at my door, that I was just like, I was just like, my heart was full of joy for you. <laughs> and, and yeah. I can add that I was very um, happy because I started reading it and I was like, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be. It's an amazing <laughs> book. <laughs> yeah, because we talked about it before while I was working on it, you know. And Do you remember that? So you in your, of, yeah. 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 I was doing That's a, a mural road. in Brooklyn and um, I was staying at your house. Uh-huh. And um, at night when I would come exhausted and my body was like, because it was cold out, I was like freezing. So I'd come and we would just sit in your, um, at your dinner, at your dining room uh, table and you were telling me about this book this like the, the the concept of the book right and i was i just thought it was such an amazing idea so for me the reason why i said how proud and how much my heart was full of joy for this is because i saw you can you were talking about it in a more conceptual way you're like i had this idea and then all of a sudden fast forward a couple of years later and it's like it's it's at my door and well, so i just like that journey was it, like it was amazing Let's hear the idea, Patty, for those people who don't know. Yes. How is this book different from other drawing books? Why is this book different from all other books? 
<laughs> this book is different from all other books in the drawing space, or at least in the kind of our realist drawing space, because I was thinking about not so much how to draw as why to draw and mm -hmm. how I think when we are considering writing a book or teaching, right, you're often thinking about speaking. What is it that you wanted to know when you were a young artist? What was it you were trying to figure out that you couldn't figure out? And so in thinking about my own development as an artist and then writing a book, I was always interested in how artists cultivate their ideas. Uh, how do they find inspiration? We did this really rigorous training at the atelier working on perception and technique. But I think in that setting, especially like you could learn to uh, focus on landscape or still life or figure, but the cultivation of your personal voice or the like what was the impetus for creating the image, I think was something that I struggled with. So over time, I had just figured out on my own just little practices and hacks for how I would cultivate um, or keep images, inspirational ideas, and then use really um, small sketchbooks to generate thumbnails. And in thinking about writing a book, I kind of wanted to talk about not so much like the technique of drawing, but what it was that drawing does in terms of my internal creative life. Um, I think most of us, when we really get into drawing, it's because we just love the feeling of being really immersed in what you're doing and getting lost in that. And then it, you get in the zone and you just want to stay and continue doing that. But then on the flip side, when you do really commit to creative practice, Sometimes you're really in your happy space, but sometimes you're feeling really like frustrated and like, I, you know, I'm, this isn't going well. Not me. I don't know what I'm me. doing. <laughs> like this is, I don't, you know, I have nothing to say. And so all of these negative voices just, you know, pile on and really get in the way of your creative practice. So well, that's, that's kind of. Can I jump on that, about. that thing about that negative voice you write in your book. Um, the, uh, you, you write about the inner voice of criticism uh -huh. and how to quiet that voice, like kind of walk us through a little bit of just how you came to the idea of how to quiet that voice of criticism right. in one's head. To be honest, I kind of had to start from the fact that I really had to wrestle with the fact that I had a really negative voice of criticism like this asshole who lived in my head <laughs> who was really not easy to live with and really <laughs> kind of impeding me from actually like enjoying my work or felt feeling like I was thriving my work I went through a period where I felt very stagnated also just you know life was complicated like there was a lot of things in my personal life family life just midlife as my age, I think all of these things were just piling up and I just was not happy being myself in my space. And I certainly didn't feel like I knew what I was doing artistically. And um, it just kind of came to my, I, I read a bunch of books, you know, that's what I do when I don't know what to do or read a bunch of books. And I learned about things like the imposter syndrome 
Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And learn more about what's that? <laughs> said, I'm not familiar with that. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm so like, oh. And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't even have that language. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, that is totally me. And um, like Brene Brown talks about like the gifts of imperfection or shame. And I kind of thought through a lot of my development formation around, you know, everything has to be perfect or I don't know, somehow shame around, you know, um, vulnerability in our creativity. And I just really realized like, wow, those are all kind of my things and they're holding me back. So then the void. Elizabeth Gilbert uh, wrote um, Big Magic, this book about creativity. And she talks about how fear, you know, there's all sorts of larger names for sort of the negative voice in our head. But in some ways, the the, the biggest name for it is just fear. Um, that anytime we start a creative act, fear comes along with it because we're entering the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen. It might work out great. It might be terrible. Also, you feel really vulnerable. Um, And so fear is going to go along with you on the road, the creative road trip. And you just have to make, you have to make peace with it. You can't actually banish it. And you can't actually like get rid of all of those negative voices that are a part of who you are. Well, they're necessary to some extent, right? They are, they are and they're val. I mean, your fear also, like it doesn't want you to run out in traffic or like go into the subway at 2 a.m. where it might get mugged, you know? Like, I mean, you know, your fear is there to protect you. Right, and staring at like a giant white canvas that's you're hoping is going to be something, like if you're not a little bit nervous or scared, like maybe you're not taking it seriously enough. (laughs) Or you're probably not pushing yourself, right? uh, Like, you know, to do something different. No, absolutely. So, um, so she just talks about how you kind of have to have a negotiated piece, like, hello, you know, even like speak to it, um, personify it. Um, you know, thank you for your input. Now sit over in the corner quietly and don't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Give your fear a timeout. (laughs) Yeah, really, you know, like, thank you. Thank you for your input. But now I'm going to continue to work on this project and not listen to you. Um, And I find that even just the, the sort of identifying it, like, okay, I think also we, we have this negative voice and it feels like the voice of authority. It feels like this rational authoritative voice that you were just stupidly thinking everything was like going great. Like, and then, and then this like voice rolls in and it's like, you are such an idiot. I don't know what you were thinking. And then you kind of give it authority, like, oh, that that's one is the right voice. And I was just blithely sort of happily doing my thing. And I, you know, that like, that's not true either. Like the voice <laughs> is literally imaginary. <laughs> well, you talk about mindfulness in the book a lot, which I thought, you know, you hear that a lot these days with everything Mm -hmm. from yoga and, you know, meditation and the way you connected it with uh, art. It's being like, again, quoting you being a a, a mechanism of hope and mindfulness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was really, really interesting. Yeah. I have done a lot of more specific meditation practices and even going to a Zen monastery, like 
boot camp, you know, like I'm actually pretty comfortable doing seated meditation. Mm-hmm. I am actually a churchgoer. I have a prayer life. So silence in that kind of like contemplative space is pretty comfortable to me. But I also had an insight that for a lot of people and myself included, like sitting still doing nothing is sometimes actually a little bit more like torture than actually like calmness. Whereas on the other hand, if you just give me a pencil and a piece of paper or a paintbrush and like let my hand and my eye and my mind go into that space, then I can really kind of quickly access a space of calm. So I, and in Zen practice, there's like walking meditation, or there is actually painting or like a art meditation. So that's actually a long tradition and understanding that there's different ways, different pathways with our body and with an engagement in life that you can, you don't have to sit still um, in cross-legged position in order to meditate. There are a lot of other ways you can do it, but it has to do with the intention um, or a practice of cultivating a little bit of quiet, you know, um, really intentionally saying, okay, for 20 or 30 minutes, I'm going to sit down at my table with my sketchbook, sharpen my pencil, focus, like listen, you know, turn off my uh, ringers, turn off my alerts, maybe put on some music that's almost more like nature sounds as opposed to something like intense that draws my focus. Mm-hmm. And be intentional about cultivating that practice. Um, I think when we were in the atelier, it's crazy. Like back, I started in the atelier before really, you know, the, before really the, the internet was around. I definitely didn't have Spotify and I never used to wear headphones a lot. So I think back like on that time that honestly, like hours and hours would go by in silence. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. standing at your easel, like there'd be quiet chatter, but really it was very, very quiet. So I've come to appreciate that that's really important to my creative practice, just being intentional about having that focused quiet and it, it feeds itself. You don't have to like have it quiet all the time. You don't, but, but if you just are intentional about doing that pretty consistently, you know, once a day for 20 or 30 minutes or four or five times a week, um, it really helps you. Then you can drop right back into it at will. Well, I think also just with the kind of art that we all make or are interested in, uh, you know, you're starting with a, a blank piece of paper or whatever, and then every mark, there's ideally some intent behind it, right? Like every everything you do is a choice. And there's nothing on that canvas that you didn't do. And so being kind of slowing everything down and being a little bit more aware kind of allows you to be more deliberate about your choices and whether you want to let random things happen or not, like that, that's also a choice too. So in a, in a way, like, even if you're trying to make things kind of random, they're not because you're choosing randomness. I was really influenced um, as a student by Ted Seth Jacobs. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, his student was Tony Ryder and both of them brought this philosophic calmness um, to their practice. You know, Ted Seth Jacobs was um, a a Hindu, right? Um, 
and really brought an Eastern philosophy. And he always emphasized the quality of being very open-minded or being sort of in a receptive state. It reminds me of like the feeling of the the Tao, like the Tao Te Ching, where instead of like pushing, you're just sort of being open and letting something unfold. Um, And I've always thought that when I'm at my easel or when I'm painting, even if I'm trying to like work on a portrait and I really want to make something correct or really, you know, improve it, that I can't actually get there through um, a force of will, like a directed force of will. I get there much more through a state of openness, of calmness. And so uh, yeah, that was definitely enforced in our practice at the atelier, just that that quiet, that med- that meditative openness. But I think that that's really important to the creative state and to a state of flow. And then also to like hearing your own, what is it that makes you individually you as an artist, as opposed to, you know, somebody else doing other work. Yeah. Yeah. There's so- also that like spiritual component that I think is like so critical and that it's, kind of a hard thing to talk about, particularly like in a setting where you're teaching kind of figure drawing or what or portrait drawing, like mm-hmm. there's, you're, you're talking about techniques and stuff, but really underneath it all, there's this kind of spiritual like zone that you get into. And I think that's, I think sort of one of the goals of, of your book is to kind of be able to talk about that or, or put it into right. words. Yeah. And I think for many people, it is what draws us to creative work is some sort of internal, either conscious or unconscious instinct towards that spiritual and something that feels meaningful, something that makes your day feel like it uh, resonates um, and you feel connected either to other artists or to the work that you're doing, right? Um And I think that creative work can help us cultivate a really profound sense of connection um, or um, meaning in what we're doing or what we're observing, the beauty of something. And I think a lot of those are those impulses are spiritual impulses. And we need like we we have a thirst for it. We have a we we need that aspect of our lives. With with when you talk about making creative work um and i'm going to talk a lot more uh in in a bit about how this book is so different from other drawing books because you go back and forth between here's here's some like bare bones like do this this will help you blah 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 and then you would go into like you were saying the spirit of what you're doing so it's like this two books in one Uh there's this it's like the art spirit by Robert Henry and then like a drawing book. And right. that's something I haven't seen. And you kind of put them together. Uh, but to go on, on the, uh, on the practice of creating, of have, of, of, of building a creative habit, how would, how would you go about telling somebody or suggesting to somebody who doesn't have a creative habit? Um, how would you do it? Where and when to build right. that creative habit or or that building of creativity? So I think for for one thing, it's important that it is 
um, a habit and a practice you have in your life consistently over a period of time. So it's not something you're just going to do once, once a week. Like if you're trying to learn a language, you can't just learn, take Spanish for 45 minutes and then not do it again for a week. Like you're never really going to make progress. Um, On the other hand, if you do it for 20 minutes every day or 30 or 40 minutes over three or four times in a week, it becomes a habit in your life, something that um, you are committed to making time for. And then also, and I'm sure you guys, you know, really have this experience. If you're not doing it after three or four or five days, you start to really miss it in your life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing is just being intentional about that. You're not just going to do it once. It's going to be something you're going to make a little bit of time for consistently over weeks and months. And then it becomes a very much a part of your life. Um, I think that being intentional about if you're trying to build a new habit and it's not a regular part of your practice, when and where? you know, in the morning before you maybe, you know, a lot of people have full-time jobs or they have other things. And so their creativity is something that they're doing along with that, you know, so are you going to do it before work? Are you going to do it over your lunch break? Are you going to do it at the end of, you know, in the evening, a little bit like scheduling time to go to the gym, you have to think about it and maybe put it on your schedule. Even if you end up, you know, life happens and you change the time, but if you don't, actually make like even if you point. don't feel like doing it like going to the gym where you're like i don't you feel like working not out gonna today you feel like doing it and you and also there's something about creativity you're like oh you procrastinate you know or you're like oh i'll do it later also it doesn't seem important you know something else seems a little bit more important than sitting down and coloring in my coloring book you know it it doesn't feel very important and so it's really easy to say yeah i'll do that later or i'll do that tomorrow but then it never comes but so, it's super habit forming. Like once you start, like once you're doing it every day, you really, or at least I think uh, I miss it like incredibly. If I, and I start to, you were saying miss it. I was thinking hate myself when I don't do it for like <laughs> five days. But right, like, you start to feel detached from who you are. Yeah, yeah, and become a bit of an ogre. Let's let's be honest. But yeah. uh, it just it it like you start to but. I mean, you look at, I don't know, an artist like, um, I talk about this a lot, but the um, at the Hispanic Society, they have all these sketches that Soroya did on his trip to the US. He was here and it's just, he's constantly sketching. Like he couldn't mm-hmm. stop sketching. It was like, he just, it was like, you know, some people who talk all the time and just can't stop talking. He was, <laughs> he was that with sketching. And that's like, it's it's hard because you do put a lot of pressure on yourself. Like, that the sketches be something like if I get a new sketchbook, I want everything in it to be great. And then I never use it. But like, if you just get comfortable sketching all the time, you kind of remove some of that judgment and you just, it becomes a habit. And then it becomes a lot more fun because you're, you're not that other voice that you were talking about. That negative voice is a lot less present or there, you don't feel it's as consequential. Yeah. I mean, I think we are, we're lucky enough to know some artists who make just dazzling sketchbooks um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, or like I, Stephen Asale was a Michael teacher Hill. of mine and he would just draw on the subway like a crazy person and make the most <laughs> gorgeous portraits, just 20 minutes on the subway and just, 
And I don't do that. And I never have. And I've always felt a little bit insecure about that. But but I've what I've found is that I have like these mixed media sketchbooks because I like to incorporate a little bit of watercolor. And when I travel, I'm actually much more likely to take my watercolor and do like because I can play around with watercolor for 20 or 30 minutes and and have made something. Whereas like oil painting or drawing a portrait, I mean, you feel like you got to have two or three hours. So <laughs> what are the things that I can do where maybe really I only have 20 minutes and then that it, it does, you know, then it's good. It, that's good enough for to have to do to a feel like I did a thing. And then the other thing I've started doing is like, if I do get a new sketchbook, I don't start on page one. I like open it up to the middle. That's great. That's actually a good. That's a good tip. Or maybe like a, a good pages tip. out just to start, so then you're comfortable cutting pages. Exactly right. You know, and then I allow myself to put like grocery lists in there, and and I remind myself that they are not for public display; that they really are just for. Yeah personal um like a diary yeah like Like a a diary diary. like you're not supposed to read the diary although honestly it's probably much more interesting with like grocery lists and like to do like it's a little bit of a window into your life so it's like the drawings you kind of like the most interesting art history for me is always like understanding where like Rubens traveled and what paintings he paint he saw before he painted other paintings and you can see sort of how the influences weave together Totally. And then the other thing I've kind of allowed myself to do or gotten in the practice of with those sketchbooks is that um, I will work. I'm trying to cultivate my practices of working from imagination, which is funny because it's really quite nerve wracking. Actually, I'm so grateful to Tony for sharing your work in the book um, that are those monster drawings of the dragon, because that is something that you've done and done naturally and well for a really long time. But I didn't really do that. And so now I'm trying to like figure that out. So maybe for 20 or 30 minutes, I will find pictures either on the internet or in a book, you know, look at a dragon or look at a monster or something and use a reference and then try to develop something in my sketchbook. And so that, that has been another way that I'm using that practice to try to get something very personal or something that isn't just like everybody else, like what even dreams, like what maybe you, um, sometimes you have a wake up from a dream and have kind of a image in your mind. Like I'll actually try to um, make an image of that, of something that I dreamt, which is also that it becomes very, it is like a diary, right? Like it, yeah. you can look back through it and it's not so much about it being a art, um, but it becomes a record of kind of your visual imaginative life. I think so many people, um, oh, well, not a lot of us, I think we have this notion that we have, everything we do has to be like high art. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I know for me personally, it keeps me from doing things because it, it's a commitment that I'm like, I'm not ready for right now. Yeah. So when I was reading your book, these things that I've actually suggested to people in the past that I would see in the book and it was just, and I'm sitting there being like, oh my God, Patty's so right. Like this stuff is, this is gold, you know, to people like us who, who have dedicated our lives to be an artist that this is this is not only is it therapeutic i think it it actually 
is so important for skill building, not only in your head and imagination, but also like technically, because I can, like I was saying, I can, I can stop doing things because I'm like, the commitment's too much. Yeah. And to say, I'm going to take that off the table and I'm just going to do these 20 minute exercises or 20 minute sketches every day, I think is really important for what you're saying, but also just like, like technical skill building. So with that said, is it, is there like, is there a way that you would like build skill? Like, how would you go about using this as skill building as well? Like skill building exercises. Right. Well, um, happily, like if you, once you kind of get, it's almost getting started. That's the hardest thing. Right. And then finding a scaffold, you know, if I want to try and do what I'm drawing of a dragon from imagination, you know, maybe I'm going to find some reference image and I'm going to, there's almost some bumbling around at the beginning. But once you actually get started on it, then usually other technical things start to kick in and you're, oh, well, let me refine the contour line over on this side. Or now like I, that then I find my comfortable spaces. I'm like, oh, now I'm hatching and shading over in this area. (laughs) Or now I'm like, I'm starting to use ink a little bit more. So then like being really conscious about line. So once you get over the hurdle of starting at a certain point, then your sort of interior maker kind of gets going. And then it really is actually technique. And you're like, oh, well, I just like the way this line or the eye-hand coordination you're building, um, making those marks, all of those really are building your technique. I think for me, the hardest part is getting started because I have to allow myself to be really bad at something, right? And mm-hmm. I I even like, I was never really good at sports as a young person or um, I never really learned to speak. I'm only like terribly bad at French. I never really got to be super fluid at French. And I've come, it's because I'm really, I'm not good at being bad at things, especially being bad at things in public, right? Where I feel like I feel like an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing. I want to be able to feel like I'm already competent, but in art making, there's a lot that you're doing where you don't already feel competent. You're like, you're like, you have to bumble around a lot. So, um, but you do, you like playing with brushes, playing with pencils, you know, you do, you develop eye-hand coordination. Your second dragon is probably going to be better than your first dragon. You know, your imagination starts to get going and you kind of visualize a little like landscape around the dragon. It, it feeds itself. Yeah. Playing with different materials also really, I think, feeds that. I mean, I, I also a uh, few years ago just got like obsessed with fountain pens and like ink, working in ink is just something... I probably hadn't done since I was like a teenager and it's so much fun, but it was like, I, it took a lot of pressure off because I was filling sketchbooks, just trying to figure out how to use it. And I was like doodling all the time with my new fountain pens because I was so excited to see like what different ones would do. And, and then it's like I, finding a new toy. It's like, yeah, I I'm, discovered a new toy and you want to play with it right now. Like when I travel, it's just too hard to like, figure out where I'm going to buy like solvent in wherever Mm -hmm. I am. And, you know, sometimes I I do it because I I know I'll have more time, but a lot of the time, because I'm there with my family, I don't have that. So like you were saying, like watercolor, if I get an hour, I I feel really satisfied. I feel like I can have fun with it. I feel like I can do something that feels like there's some substance there. There's something to it. And so I've been like, 
buying all these like mini watercolor sets and having fun with that. Like, I love those. I love those. They're and so genius. Julie, I, I kind of was heavily influenced in creating this book by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist Way. Mm -hmm. um, and that book, she is a writer. And a lot of those exercises are geared towards language and writing and the written word. And my insight is that as visual artists, actually the written word or language is actually not often the pathway that we want, that we actually do so want something just visual, non-linguistic, pictorial. But she emphasized the that the idea that your artist, your inner artist is really like your, an inner child that really does just want to play with the toys and it <laughs> needs like new toys and it needs <laughs> to be like encouraged as such. Right. And I think that in the Atelier, we get a little serious. I like, I, you know, I'm, I can be a little too serious and um, a lot of the stuff in this book is designed to be super approachable and right. super easy and playful to help remind myself and everyone else that really, you know, if you can engage that inner joy, you know, and like playing with your pens, right. You weren't worried about like, am I drawing as good as Michelangelo? No, you were just like having a good time. I mean, um, but it is, but, just... <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's also that the playing around, like it doesn't mean that it isn't serious or that you're not serious. It's just, there's, there's, there's kind of that, like, that sort of joyfulness of finding something new. And it's, I mean, that, you know, we're trying to experience that constantly in, in whatever paintings we're doing, but then you find other ways to experience it too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. How do you, how do you take for, for those who are listening to this and getting your book, um, how do you take those doodles and those moments of just kind of playing and, bring those to maybe more finished or completed work. Right. Like what's that path like? Um, so it travels through compositional thumbnails. And as I mentioned, sometimes you even have a dream and you kind of see a picture mm -hmm. or if I have a particular theme that I've been turning over in my head, Oftentimes, um, a, a pictorial image will somewhat suggest itself in kind of a vague way. And I then will make a thumbnail in my mixed media sketchbook. And I'm often using watercolor and pencil or watercolor and pencil and marker like mixed media because I find actually sometimes color is faster and more direct than line um, yeah. than drawing. So and I find I think kind of an, and so I try to make something that is maybe three by four inches. Um, it's important to me that it's small. Um, and I guess the, the book that I like to use is eight by eight inches every once in a while. It's like the image will be the whole um, eight by eight page. But the reason I like that is that for one, it feels very private and safe. I don't have to show it to anybody, this little thing I'm working on. But then also I can outpace my sensor. So basically I can make the whole image, you know, and color, you know, like get the idea down, 
before my sensor has time to get involved in the process and be like, this is stupid, or this is a bad idea, or I don't know what you're thinking. How does this fit into your ooh? That's like, really what are your good. friends going to think? <laughs> right. Like all of that. And that guy is going to show up. So if I yeah. work on a small scale, the asshole on your shoulder that you were right, talking about before, I can just get it done. And then later I can look at it and evaluate it and then kind of have a conversation with the asshole about whether it was a good idea or not. But once it's down on paper, then it's like it, it takes on a reality, even if it's just small. And then what I find happens is that there are certain little thumbnails that just um, persist. Like either I'm like, oh, and now I'm going to make another one because this isn't quite, quite right. And then maybe make a third one. Okay. Now I'm ready. I'm going to make it a little bit bigger. So, um, sometimes with my more narrative allegorical work where I'm inventing a background or a composition, it does go through a couple different stages, starting with a real small concept, then maybe getting a little bigger, like six by eight, maybe getting a little bigger to like 10 by 12. And by the time it's gotten that big, you kind of, okay, what, what is in each port part of the picture? And you start to problem solve. Um, so some images in my book are probably never going to get, you know, past that page, but I find that there's others that I actually, there's a couple painting sketches that I made, like it's actually, it was pre-pandemic. So it was actually like two, like three years ago now that I'm still like, that painting is still kind of like mm -hmm. tapping yeah. me on the shoulder, like, Hey, um, and I've come to trust in that process that if I just get the idea down in a very small format, then over time, the one or the two or the three that just persist in my, um, imagination, well, then they're like, okay, now I'm going to make that painting. And then you start I've to had, get practical. I had those ideas where I did exactly what you did. And I like, you know, not threw it away, but just like, now this isn't any good. And then years later came yeah. back to it. And I was like, that's not that bad. Cause I have a yeah. different like perspective on yeah. it. Yeah. Meaning it's that's not, it hasn't changed. I changed and yeah. I saw something that wasn't in it. So I think, and I think our minds do really interesting things of throwing things out that you're, you're consciously not ready for, for a couple more years. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's important to get those concepts down, to not judge them. Like I'm really been trying to practice this concept of non-judgment and even towards my more finished paintings. Um, you know, we, in the atelier, especially like you're either drawing it right or you're drawing it wrong, or you're getting your values right, or you're getting your values wrong. And it, it brings a whole freight of evaluative criteria with it, you know, whether you did a good job or a bad job. But the farther I get as a human being making art, I kind of find that all of that evaluative judgment is actually harmful. Um, mm. And that my job is to make it and to let other people judge it and they will, right? Um, and yes, of course, you still, you make choices and you edit and you revise and you do your best on whatever your project is. But in more and more, I'm just trying to be really non-judgmental towards what, you know, that's a good idea or that's a bad idea. Because also I've come to realize that like years will go by and the thing that I didn't think was a good idea, somebody else thinks is a great idea. Like, I don't, you know, what do I know? <laughs> and I just, so I try, I also, I don't necessarily throw much away until much later, like maybe five or 10 yeah. years later, I might 
sort through things and yeah. okay, like, okay, I, and you kind of know when you don't need something. <laughs> five or 10 years, something hasn't like, yeah. a yeah. seed and hasn't can... like, yeah, you're <laughs> throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what you also do, with, which I, I actually love, um, is that you were talking in the, in the book about creating vision boards or mood boards to sort of mm-hmm. have those there, not that you need them right away, but you kind of create them and then just leave them. And it's not necessarily your drawings. They're like little inspirations. It's almost like an inspirational quote. Sometimes I write that down. Like I have one on my desk right now because I just finished a bunch of commissions and I'm about to like, and it's been years and I'm about to start new work. And I have all these like sketches and all these ideas and all these things that I'm like, all of a sudden, like I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, now what are you going to do? You've been complaining for five years that you're not making new new work <laughs> quote new work now what like yeah step up and i'm like scared and i wrote <laughs> for real i wrote on a piece of paper and i put it on my thing it says don't forget to love it and that was something yeah. that i was like i need that so yeah. that's like a a mood board like thing but Absolutely. I know for me, I love vision boards. And I like, I actually just made one over the weekend with the, in a workshop, um, leading a workshop. And, um, I think that for me, they are incredibly helpful in gestating images and ideas for paintings. And they're also incredibly helpful in getting me to actually accomplish a vague goal that, um, that I'm not sure how to handle, or you start to get intimidated or you procrastinate because I've, a mood board, um, you gather, you pull images, found images, magazines, you can print things, you can write out quotes, um, and you assemble it all on like maybe like a 16 by 20 inch piece of foam core um, and glue it all together so it becomes like a visual scrapbook. And it does so many things. It helps like remind you of your intention, right? Like don't forget to have fun, like, you know, yeah. don't and don't forget to love it. And it doesn't have to be specific, right? It doesn't have to be like, it it could just be like random. It could be random, but what I've also noticed, because I've been doing this for a little while, is that patterns and preferences emerge. So um, I just did one over the weekend and I try to be very open, like not have a premeditated idea of how something is going to go. And then you just, if your instinct it's an intuitive exercise. If your intuition is like, pull that image, cut it out, put it on, then you can kind of learn to have a conversation with your intuition about what you like, because you might be interested in things subconsciously that consciously you're not even fully aware of. So Mm -hmm. when you do a project, make a mood board or make a, a vision board, it helps you visualize, like manifest whatever your intuition might be pushing you towards. Um, so I, I'm kind of have this painting I've been chewing on for, um, a few years and I, um, I can't, I haven't solved the problem yet. I find that oftentimes I have an intention to make a painting at a certain point, it kind of the idea that some crystallization happens and the idea comes into place. And in this particular painting, like I kept been kind of chewing on it for a couple of years and I still don't know how to make it. And I just, I was thinking about it over the weekend. I was like, actually, maybe I'm not supposed to know. Maybe I'm supposed to approach the whole project more like a mood board where it's like, well, I'm just going to throw a bunch of 
stuff on the wall and see what like and and actually yeah. not have a a goal like have the goal the end goal in mind but actually just go through the process so i think vision boards um, mood boards can really help us do that it's There's, like a a version of a sketchbook basically but mm-hmm. with like your your collecting as opposed to mm-hmm. and it's efficient because you don't have to make all the sketches yourself and then also I find that, you know, I'm in the world of realism and, and figuration. So a lot of my stuff is old master work or contemporary realist work. But then every once in a while, it's something really um, from what would be more out of left field in terms of art, um, something really abstract or like a texture or something very conceptual. So then it becomes like a little bit of spice in a stew where you've got something that's really an outlier and doesn't seem like it fits in, but somehow that should go in the pot too. Um, I know we're talking about a drawing book, um, which I think is so great because you have so many great examples of really just kind of brass tacks ways of approaching drawing, do this thing, it builds skill. You know, because mm-hmm. and and I love that it has these sections all over, like throughout the book. And like I was saying before, you kind of go back and forth, like within a chapter of being like a like a spiritual idea, and then like, oh, no, hey, here's like some really cool exercises you can do that are really, really, really great. Um, but you do have a section in the book, um, again, a drawing book about mental health, and I was wondering, like, what, like. I, I I was actually moved by it. I was like really thought it was a beautiful, um, a beautiful uh, 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 piece on like here here's this drawing book. And by the way, let's talk about like how you're you know, like yeah. how you're feeling. It's more important than I think people realize. You know, like so many people realize like how important it's that is to just be strong in your head important. and in your heart. Yeah. No, I really, you know, I, I went through a period basically struggling with depression. Um, it hugely impacted my studio work and my f- ability to be, to feel creative and productive. Um, I think in some ways like depression feels like the opposite of creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, and tending and caring for our mental health is incredibly important. And I think, you know, you guys are teachers too. Um, There's a lot of people who really want to be artists. And the real reason that people do not succeed in becoming an artist has nothing to do with the fact that they can't hatch or they can't master a contour line or they don't know proportion. It has to do with, can they give themselves permission to spend ridiculous number of hours hatching or working on or just and or just like sucking for like a really long time so that you can get through that can you work through that like i'm worth it my time is worth it my vision is worth it can you work through the i'm not really good enough i don't know how to do this um can you work through the just the hurdles of life you know and and what is happening in your in your the, your life outside your creativity, you know, can you focus? Can you either use that as fuel or can you figure out how to put a silo around it so that then you're able to still do your creative work, even if you're dealing with challenges in other spaces? I mean, that's the real reason people don't, you know, succeed in their creative goals has nothing to do with the 
fact that they don't know how to draw an oak leaf. You know, it really has to do with the the emotional work on the inside. Um, Is it Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that we, um, you know, you start with just need for food and shelter and then you need love and your community. Um, As artists, we're, you know, in the very privileged position of being able to develop that sort of top level, which is the development of self. And it's actually a development of self, which is what becomes our creative expression. And you have to have a tremendous amount of support, you know, both um, of, of your family, of your mental health, of everything to be able to have that space where you really can be developing yourself. Um, so that you have the freedom to be like, yeah, don't forget to don't forget to love it. Don't forget to love it. Uh Yeah, I don't remember if it was in that chapter, but um, even something as simple as you wrote, and I and I thought it was brilliant, um, is uh, finding joy in unexpected places. And I (laughs) I I really love that because it's something that when you when your radar when you allow your radar to be sensitive, there's there is that like you can find little moments of beauty everywhere and the most like you know that's not aesthetically the the thing that you're supposed to think is like joyful and you're like yeah it's like a messy desk you can find something joyful in that you know and you have an exercise for that can you explain yes exercise you know we have a lot of pressure like, okay, I'm gonna, I have an intention, I'm gonna draw, I'm gonna draw for 30 minutes. And then you're like, I don't have anything to draw. I don't know what to draw. And you kind of look around and you feel like everything you're thinking about drawing seems kind of dumb. And then you start to edit that, right? And so this exercise is called what's in your junk drawer, where it's just <laughs> basically like you open up your junk drawer and like kind of randomly grab like five or six things and be like, okay, that's what we're gonna make art out with out of today. You know, and then you can maybe make it make a composition, like space things out or then just study like in my junk drawer has this like crazy old ice pick. Like, is it useful for anything? No. Why is it in the junk <laughs> well, drawer? I have no idea. It could be useful. But it's like waiting for a horror awesome. movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the handle is like old and kind of like worn. And then, the you know, and so like I find that just through this now I'm like looking at this one object that well, it's got a history and I don't know, did this used to be my grandma's? And, and if you allow yourself to just kind of accept what is, you can actually find like, then your imagination starts to go. You start to get involved. We edit ourselves and you're like, oh, well, that's not a good idea. Or I shouldn't do this. And in fact, if you can kind of let go of that and just get involved in what you're doing, you will, you will find something interesting. And also like that, you know, in that exercise, you're like, okay, well, let's measure the distances between them. Let's try to get the heights and the widths, right? Let's try to get the proportions, right? You know, because you can find like skill-based stuff that's, oh, it's always there. No matter what, you're always like the ability to build, like to hone your skill. A lot of exercises in the book really to kind of start from a beginner perspective with things like, okay, let's just draw a coffee cup. Let's just draw a leaf. Um, go out. And one of the things I encourage um, when you're needing a little bit of focus, a little bit of inspiration is to just go outside into nature and gather a few things and bring them in. 
Um, so, you know, I'll go to the park or just go for a walk on my block and you will find even, I live in Brooklyn. Like it's not the, it's not an, it's not an oasis, right? It's a really scruffy, you know, urban place, but you can find something interesting, you know, to, to draw. Um, and going outside also has a way of, of opening you up, of kind of softening your attention and be helping me I think everyone kind of become more receptive to to the world around us that we can then kind of bring through us into our art I mean there's always that 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 um the quote that nature's the best teacher you know like we've always heard that you know but exactly but it's yeah going out and just being outside even if it's in the city or if it's in you know, a beautiful mountain, you know, scene yeah. or something. Yeah. I, I, I quoted uh, Tony Ryder, who was, you know, my teacher in Port. He wrote the figurative artists, um, was complete guide to figurative drawing. Yeah. And somebody asked Tony, you know, are you trying to improve on nature? You know, sort of like thinking about a Beaux-Arts ideal or, you know, making, and he was like, no, I'm trying to let nature improve on me. And it's a real humility towards how you know nature the world can shape us if we're open open to it ted were you gonna say something yeah it's not i mean that what you just said i mean that sounds a lot also like what you were talking about with ted seth jacobs and that um uh just being open and and i feel like tony and ted are just so like closely linked in terms of Mm -hmm. like philosophical kind of why they're doing what they're doing um but I was going to say, I think when you go out in nature and you start to find things and look at them and you try and draw them and you're just trying to understand, like, what is this thing? And the moment you get into the that process of, like, just trying to understand something, you start to ask questions of it. And that's where you find meaning. And I feel like that's that's sort of like in all of the, I don't know, like a sort of teaching somebody how to draw. I feel like that's the most important part. It's the part that's either going to make them an artist or or not, is that just that search for meaning in things. And if that meaning comes through in those things, then it's it, it feels like art. And I think particularly now, I mean, I was watching the, this is going to date this a little bit, but I was watching the Super Bowl last night and just all the like commercials. And there's so many people that we know who, you know, are artists or could have been artists. And they went into like commercials, like in some, some like PR or, or, you know, just advertising. And I, I feel like uh, we're just so bombarded with kind of commercial, everything, entertainment, art, that we're kind of, I think we've entirely lost the boundaries between art and people trying to sell us stuff using kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. looks like art. And maybe even in some cases, stuff that is art, but the intent behind is it's not out of love. It's not out of, it's out of trying to manipulate you in some way. And I feel yeah. like your book, uh, you know, touches on that kind of, it's a razor's edge talking about like spirituality or, or any of that in art before it becomes really hokey. And it's, it's very hard to talk about that stuff, but I think it's so critically important because once you get into meaning, like, the relevance of the things that we're all doing, which I think like there's so many artists we admire who belong in museums who will never be in museums 
at least, you know, they'll never be in, I don't know, the museums in New York, because I think that line is just fully just, it, it's not commercial enough. And, and I, I think the line is gone. And, and I think, you know, like Warhol was, was maybe that was like where it just, it completely mm. spilled over. But I think it's so important to be able to talk about like spirituality, about finding meaning and drawing a simple thing like an oak leaf. Yeah, I am totally obsessed right now with a new book that I just got, which is uh, The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. Who's oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Listen to an interview with him about that. Yeah, Great I know book. he's been on a few and podcasts lately and I've been like, and I think having it, queued up to listen. The <laughs> themes of that book pair really well with uh, Path of Drawing. And in a chapter talking about greatness, you know, and his book really is very aspirational and spiritual in terms of not about, you know, how do you become successful or how do you, you know, hang with Jay Z? It's really about how do you create your life around making something great and making something beautiful. And he talks about how um, art that is really great is usually an act of devotion, you know, and the making of it is an act of devotion. And that really reminded me of, you know, when you're spending 30, 40, 50, 100 hours, you know, on some painting, like, why? Like, it makes no sense from a commercial point of view, or like from some, but it, but it is an act of devotion to just the thing just has to be made this way. Um, You, you commit whatever time it takes, and you kind of get lost in the time it takes. And I think that true art arises not from a commercial, um, impetus it doesn't you know it's not about selling the painting it's about a devotion to the idea of it a devotion to nature um, that then creates a beautiful resonance that you know other people who are who are fed by that see and recognize right away yeah well, i think music the, is always such a good analog for the kind of art we do because it's it's just it's so it's it's hard to put it into words and it's uh-huh. so much about feeling yeah. Well, Patty, you dedicated to, to you dedicated this book. It says like this is dedicated to the light workers. Is that what you mean by that? Like I I I, I was really interested in hearing what what that yeah. means. Yeah. Um so a light worker is a person basically who seeks the to leave the world better than they found it. Um and I did in the beginning of the book talk about that I, I see art um, and art making as a mechanism of, of hope, right? There is a lot of despair, a lot of struggle, a lot of pain in our world. And I think that when we go to, into making art or go to a museum, listen to music, we are seeking something that fills our soul. And I think having an art practice then also can help stabilize you, you know, if you are needing to, you know, go fight for social justice or work in a, you know, work as a nurse during COVID, right? Like those things require a lot of giving and art is a place that can kind of restore your sense of hope in the world or um, in your, restore balance in your own life. And so a light worker is someone who seeks to light a candle in the darkness and it's can be um, it seem almost Pollyanna ish, right? To be a 
optimist sometimes in the world, right? The world is so full of challenging things. But I think that as an artist in society, that um, that the way in which we are yet yeah, trying to shine light in the darkness or focus on beauty and ugliness or, you know, and maybe music or theater create a sense of community um, out of, you know, the fabric of society, that those are all things that create hope in, in the world. And I think that art at its best does that. And that the art, the artists that I love are people who are doing that. And those are the people that I seek to, to follow. That's so beautiful, Patty. I also I get- feel, I also feel that, um, that that's not just for, you know, artists, people who are like making and sculpting and, and drawing yeah. and painting that, um, you know, and I, and I know I'm biased, but I do feel that everybody should not necessarily want to be a professional artist, but they should make art in some way or another, you know, whatever right. that means to them. Uh, I think it, uh, uh, I think it's fulfilling life. And I think there's challenges that, um, make you a better person by creating something, you know, Absolutely. whatever it is. And it cultivates focus, it cultivates your sensitivity. And I do think that it's for everyone. Like, I think I'm very, very lucky to be able to, you know, be a professional artist, but I don't think that it's required to be professional, you know, or successful professionally making art to find your life made tremendously more meaningful by having art in it, you know, and also frankly, the people around you, like you were talking Ted about, like you get kind of grumpy, right? Like, well, me, like me too. And probably most everybody we know. And like, it really is helpful to my family if I stay committed to making art because I'm a much more pleasant person. So like <laughs> to be around, you know, um, <laughs> you don't have to be a great singer to like sing in a choir, or, like enjoy singing in the shower, you know, like you, uh, th- these, these are things that enrich our human life and, and do make life uh, richer and, and more tolerable and more fun to share. I think joy is important. I think that we have to find joy. And I think there's so much myth-making around um, being an artist. You know, there's like the madness of Vincent van Gogh or the passion of Michelangelo. These these ideas of the the artist as someone who really intensely struggles. Um, And I actually think that great art is happening despite those struggles, not because of them. And my yeah. own experience is that actually, yeah. if I can cultivate, if I can nurture and protect some joy and some delight and some contentment in my life, it seems like actually the art happens a lot better, a lot faster. I I know, I know I hear so much of this. Um, oh, that person's art is going to be really great because they're struggling or they're dark or they're, and I'm not saying that something beautiful or great can come from somebody's struggle or darkness or pain it's always like oh this person's art is great because they're in pain and i I never understood that no it's like a musician who's amazing and they're like the reason why that musician was made such great music is because they were because they were high on drugs and i'm like no that you know what i mean because i was i'm a musician too and i'm like that's not it they were great yeah. If they were and their high, might have just... succeeded. And of course, a lot of people know what darkness feels like and pain feels like. So when you see that in someone else's art and it's really sincerely expressed, it resonates powerfully. And that can be yeah. a gift, right? Because but that's not the reason like, why it's I'm good. not alone. <laughs> 
right? Like this other person is having that experience too. But the reason it's great is not because they were in pain, right? It's because they succeeded in making art despite the the pain, you know? Yes, they succeeded in making art despite pain. But we very- shouldn't we shouldn't look for the pain, you know. And and also, I think you know, you we have these myths around what it means to be an artist in society, and that you're supposed to be a great genius. Well, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like a genius. So then, yeah. does that mean I can't make great art? You know, like I think we have to drop <laughs> all these these myths and instead just embrace a path, <laughs> you know, a path of making. And like I'm just showing up with what yeah. I've got, and I'm doing the best I can. And it's actually the, it's the staying committed. It's like what makes you an artist in society it, that you're just doggedly pursuing that path, right? That you don't quit, that you just keep exploring it. The geniuses feel like geniuses. <laughs> Only the megalomaniac ones. <laughs> there was a great, uh, I, I saw it like the New Yorker sometimes runs old articles and they ran an old profile from... I think it was the 20s on Einstein and it like he was so humble yeah at least in the profile at least that's how that made him sound <laughs> but right. it was yeah. shocking I love that he, and he'd like people tried to donate to him for his research and he would like lose big checks from people like the wrong oh my God. and then and also be like I can't remember who wrote the check and it was like <laughs> I mean <laughs> Only people who you really don't want to spend time with think they're geniuses. You know? <laughs> He's a ge- I also think the word is thrown around way too liberally. I'm like, not everybody's a genius. A lot of times they just, you know, they might have done something really great or cool. And where we're seeing the results of that doesn't mean they're geniuses. Yeah. I think geniuses are very, very rare. But I do think talent and hard work is common. Right. And yeah. it's being mistaken yeah. for genius. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes absolutely. I think a lot a lot of geniuses probably will, you know, you know, you hear about people who are legitimately genius and it was a struggle because they they couldn't, you know, there there was too much <laughs> and they couldn't they couldn't deal with it. <laughs> so part of this book is kind of also about, you know, how do you nurture what feels like your personal self creatively? Um, and then start to make art and images from that instead of feeling pressured from the outside or what your peers are doing. And both of you guys, you know, we all came up together and and were cooked in the same pot, but then you guys have gone on to really make a distinctive body of work focusing on the subject matter that is so specifically you. And I'm, I'm also kind of curious to know, like from you guys, what that, you know, did that happen? Was it always there? Were there things that you did to help make that you know to just you know define yourself as an artist as opposed to just the person that we were when we were going through art school well i know for me um i think it's a lot of what we've been discussing today and a lot of what's in your book is i'm starting and and you know better late than never you know i feel yeah it would have been great if i've come to started thinking about this 15 years ago but it's the um, giving myself permission uh, uh, idea. Yeah. And I'm only now getting to it. So yeah. I think so much of oh, my past, you know, was um, hiding that by 
trying to learn how to master something, you know? Mm -hmm. So what does that really mean? What is it to master something? Is it that you can do it repetitively over and over and over again? Yeah, that's that's how you do it in a like in a kind of physical way. But also how does that, you know, does that affect it does that build up layers of like not giving yourself permission to be okay right. to not be so good at something and to be more creative, you know, even in your, in the book, you, you talk about mastering stuff and we know what that's like coming from maybe an atelier, atelier background, but before atelier backgrounds, we came from different places. Like Ted and I were making cartoons. I was a graffiti, a graffiti guy, you know, I did illustration, all these things, all the, I, you know, grew up going to, you know, punk rock shows and skateboarding and all. How am I, is it okay for me to allow those things to make its way into my art? And it's only now that I'm starting to be like, you would think like, what's taking you so long? I don't know. No, Insecurities. I feel, I feel like it's taken know, me a knows? long time. Yeah. Yeah. But as long as I get there, I think I'm okay. Yeah. I wish I started thinking about this, like I said, 15 years ago, but as long as I think I'm willing to say, Hey, um, I want to make, I want to make art, you mm -hmm. know? One thing I've been noticing, like looking back on things that I made now 20 years ago, and I was a very different person then. And I had very different motivations about like what I wanted to make and what style they should be mm -hmm. and what that process was. And I'm really increasingly aware of that. Like, I am just not that person. Like, I could yeah. not make that painting that I made 20 years ago and, like, yeah. what I was interested in then. And I was also just developing. I just, you know, I you were, I was where I was. I'd been exposed to what I'd been exposed to. And so then since then, I've, you know, I've developed. And I do feel like, it, yeah, it's been 20 years and I feel like I'm just beginning, right? But I guess that's yeah. a wonderful thing to feel like you still have a lot to begin. But just to add on to that, the thing I don't want, I don't want to uh, get that uh, misinterpretation of like, I don't like what I've done in the past or anything. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Like I like, and I'm proud of what I've done and the mistakes I've made and the su successes I've had. But I do know that when I look back at stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad because even though I might be maybe at a different place right now, than I was 10 years ago, I would not be where I am right now if I didn't do that 10 years ago. So I can't ever look at anything I've done and be like, I wish I, no, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't do that. So I wouldn't want to go back in time and redo stuff because I would maybe not be the same person. So everything I have in the past is there for a reason and I respect it, you know? Whether I revisit it or not, and I'm sure I will because it's still part of me, it's something that is very important to where I am right now. Right. Yeah. What about you, Ted? Like, how did you, how was I mean, it, it was, trying to I, find your personal voice and what you were doing? I think that I I had like, um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to draw and paint. And uh, it seemed like. I didn't like what I was learning in school ever when mm. it came to that. I would always get bad grades in art. Uh, <laughs> and that's why I was so attracted to kind of outlaw art. And that's why I got really into graffiti. And, you know, just like 
be up in the Bronx, uh, like on a Tuesday at like 3am painting, you know, painting along a highway or something. And I, I loved that. And I was with people who also loved it. And that's how I, how I met Tony. And then, you know, I, I started to find animation and, and had, you know, success there. I was like, had my own company. It was good, but I still like, I always wanted to paint like, and at a certain point, I just decided that I wanted to do what I love and everything else I figured would work out around it. And I think since I left animation, I just started doing what I loved. And it was, you know, where we all met studying at, at uh, Water Street. But I think right away, I was sort of just on that path to trying. And I don't think that has changed at all. I mean, I certainly would never have seen myself painting the ocean. It just wouldn't have occurred to me. And then I became obsessed with it. And, um, and I, I think I look back on, on work I did, you know, a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago. And it, in some ways, uh, it's very different. Like, I feel like I know a lot more and I care about, you know, some very different things now. And mm -hmm. that informs kind of, uh, maybe the tone of my work or the direction of it, but it's, it's always about the same thing. It's always about just whatever I happen to love. I feel like I'm hearing um, in what both of you guys are saying and my, my own experience too, is that it's really a tremendous act of faith, right? In order to embrace like a, a, a path, a creative path, it really is an act of faith. And actually Ruben talks about that too, that like what is required to create art is like unshakable faith. And it requires a confidence, but not so much a confidence in that, like, you know what you're doing, but a confidence in your ability to just stick with it and figure it out. You know, like, not that you already know what you're going to do, but you're just a certain, like, life experience of sort of resilience and, well, I, I don't know, I'll figure it out. But then a faith that somehow it's all going to, I don't know, somehow I'll pay my rent, somehow I'll, you know, like, it'll all work out. and I. Um, I I would love that about the Water Street community because I think there was a lot of faith and belief in like just the power of art, you know, and our ability to make it together. And I, I think that um, times in my life where I've felt more discouraged have been when just sort of either belief in myself or belief in what art does have been not as strong. And then times when I feel like things are really flowing in the studio are when I just am able to have a lot more faith in the process and like that. It's all, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. It's going to be fine. It's going to be great. <laughs> I mean, that was the advice I got. Um, when I, before I was a dad, you know, oh. that, that, um, I didn't know what I was doing and there was that, like, you'll figure it out. Yeah. And I was like, what does that mean? You know, this is beforehand. <laughs> and I think I've told this story before I was talking to a friend of mine and i said you know in a you know silly tony way like do i need to go buy a book on how to be a good dad or something and 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 it'll get like a direction book and my friend was just like well the fact that you're um uh, that you would even bring that up means you're going to be a good dad like there yeah. is no book and the fact that you'd even say that means you'll be a you'll be a good dad but i feel like a little bit of it was that same feeling in art and and I'm glad you said it, but 
when I try to explain what you just said, I can't really explain it because it's this like intangible idea of like, you know, I guess it's faith, you know, the faith that it will work out because mm-hmm. a thing that I think all of us have done our little group or not, a, not our group, people like us, and it could be any form of creative life is um, that no net, that no safety net feeling mm-hmm. of we're just going to figure this out. And we don't have a, we kind of don't have any choice. Like we don't have a safety net. We don't have a backup. We don't have a plan B. It's plan right. A or, or bust. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't have a backup plan. I have no, um, I have no really other life skills at this point. Yeah. Like I'm very committed <laughs> to this path and that's, that's great. And that sometimes it's great to have that like external, like I really, I'd have to go get a job as a barista or like I, I have no other skills. So I got to do this and that's great. But I am also mindful of the fact that I have so much safety, you know, whether it's like my family or my friends yeah. or, Um, You know, I do have a lot of support and that in itself also gives me the ability to be like, yeah, I can, I can stick my neck out over here creatively because I do, because I do have enough safety. Um, But I think, you know, going back to the book a little bit, like one of the things we're to just keep in mind for, for anybody um, starting this is that it all starts with a very small, very discreet manageable steps you know we kind of all we um, aspire to doing like complex and sophisticated and difficult things but not everything we're doing like starts with a very small discrete step of like well maybe I'll just buy a new fountain pen (laughs) you know like maybe I'll just play with this watercolor set and that everything builds on little small step and 20 minutes at a time, you know, can you do something yeah. for 20 minutes? There's a, is it the, uh, what's his name? Nils Larson, the guitarist, you know, talks about like one of the reasons that I'm good at what I'm doing is I'm good at being um, frustrated for 20 minutes at a time. You know, can you be, can you tolerate frustration for 20 minutes? Um, and if you can tolerate frustration for 20 minutes, then you can cumulatively get really yeah. good at what you're doing over time. Yeah. Right. Um, could I could I add just to that that also somebody who's you know going down this path that it you don't always see immediate results to be absolutely. patient. Yeah. I, I feel patience is really important because most things that are worth worth it aren't immediate. That it takes time, and I think um, being patient and allowing time um, is important. I think that's so important. And I think frankly, being compassionate towards yourself in that early stage when, yeah, you're not going to be any good. Like self-love, like a little (laughs) self-love. I I went home um, at Christmas and my parents still live in the house I grew up in. And so there's a box, cardboard box in my closet and it's got um, an old sketchbook of mine from college. And I'm like, oh, wow, let's take a look at this. Guys, those drawings are so bad. Like, like terrible drawings of apples, right? Like I would not have looked at some young person bringing me this sketchbook and been like, 
hey, kid, you got a bright future. You got a really good <laughs> Like, no, you, they're just bad. And I was in college. Get another then. job, kid. You ain't going to yeah, make it. Yeah, no, like, don't give up your day job, you know? <laughs> and you just have to have a lot of compassion that if you are doing it, if you're just for 20 minutes, if you're doing the thing, like, that's, you get the gold star. You know, I have a couple of, like, uh, little things that I have questions about the book, like little fun things for me. One, I feel like I'm, I'm showing you the cover, right? The inside cover. Yeah. To me, I saw it as a map. And yes. I was like, here's like an idea of a map to something that would be, it's not super specific, but it's like, it's it's the, 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 the kind of artistic idea of like, here's a map to some, like direct, not directions, but yeah. every, the idea of a map to me is very important. I love the, the uh, the conceptual idea of a map not in not necessarily yeah. the practice of mapping something there's a lot of metaphors that i used around yeah. the idea of maps and navigation and I a path it. right a path yeah. of drawing finding a path and often if you're going out you know hiking finding a path like you have tools like a compass and a map but you're also often standing in the middle of the field like feeling pretty lost, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. Ticks I thought, on like, you. Miss a turn somewhere, right? Like that it's also the experience of having the tools, but being lost. I think also that when we draw um, to create a realist drawing, right? We often start with navigation, like an armature or a block in, you know, axis lines, distance, um, proportion, making a block in and all of those are kind of a way of mapping out our picture before we actually make the detailed picture it's like yeah. an armature or an underdrawing before you make the finished drawing and i feel like that is also about mapping out an image um yeah i like the the metaphors of, of i love mapping. the metaphor of mapping yeah, that's great. because i feel like when you have I, I say this a lot and when i'm when i teach is that if you know you have let's say a rough path or like a paved path or whatever, and you know that leads to where you want to go, it allows you permission to go off-roading, knowing that you can always go back to the path to the sort of set you straight. Uh, and in my own work or my own philosophy lately, I've been wanting to say, here's the rough path that I, that's very, you could see it. It's like, you know, a, a, a dirt road, see it. Uh, I can go off-roading knowing that that's sometimes just knowing it's there is enough that I can just explore right. as much as I want. You know, we, we, we love people who are visionaries, right. Who are out ahead of maybe the fields and, and, and breaking new ground. But I'm just, I always kind of laugh at that image because I think from the point of the view of the, the visionary, like you really don't know if you're way ahead of the crowd or if you're just lost in left field. <laughs> Like, I think it feels exactly the same, right? Yeah. Like I am, <laughs> yeah, totally. I am in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where I am, you know, and, and, and it's society again, going back to like, not judging, right. It's actually not up to you. You could be yeah. lost, right? Like it, time, it, time <laughs> dictates that <laughs> well, time will tell time. you if you were visionary or if you were <laughs> lost. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've all like, you know, some artists who are pretty eccentric, right? And, and you're just grateful that you're like, wow, that dude is, he's really out there, man. <laughs> he's, a, he's a genius. <laughs> he or she. I have another question that's like, like something I've always wondered about because first, I mean, you wrote a book like mm -hmm. Patty, 
my my buddy Patty wrote a book. Amazing. <laughs> I was wondering, like, it, you know, the book has is just peppered with quotes from everywhere. Like, you know, not art quotes, meaning quotes from every walk of life through in every time period. Where do you find the quotes? Because some of them, I'm like, that's just the best quote I've ever heard. And I've done this with other books. When I read it, and they'll have like a quote of some either somebody famous or some obscure philosopher. And I'm like, how do you find those? Is there like a website that you can go there and find? It's so awesome funny. Quotes? I mean, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was important to me to create. Um, frankly, because I love I love books that have good quotes in them. But I realized that I've just been collecting them for a long time. Quotes. And it wow. is a little bit of a you know creative process. I keep a, a, a notebook and I will off, I will write them down. And I even had done another project, kind of a collaborative project where I had actually, I have a big word document where I was actually starting to collect them. So even prior to making this book, I'd sort of started a little bit of that work of saving some of the quotes that were inspiring to me. And all of them relate to my own thinking about myself as an artist or finding inspiration. And the other reason I wanted to put them in there is that um, I had this sort of uncomfortable realization that in writing a book on drawing, that I was writing a book that no one was ever going to read because artists don't really read books. Like no. I, you know, in thinking about writing a book, then I get out my books by like you know, Juliet Aristides and, you know, T Tony Ryder. And I like, wow, chapter one, I don't think I've ever read chapter one, right? Like I'm actually like reading through it from beginning to end because artists flip through books. We look at the pictures. Look at pictures. <laughs> And then you all read the caption <laughs> and that, right. And then maybe you read like part of the chapter. And so I wanted thinking about that. That is frankly how I look at an art book, like that. I wanted somebody to be able to just open it up, read a quote, see a picture, kind of like take away a concept and then like get back to drawing. Right. That, yeah, no one's it's actually like, it's like cue cards. It's like yeah. Marlon, it's like Brando, like Marlon Brando. He didn't remember any of his lines and you would have people off camera with giant cue cards and yeah. you would just read the lines. So like it's how like, do you oh, write a book for people with really bad ADHD? You know, like yeah. lots of pictures, <laughs> lots of quotes. <laughs> so good. I also love how you, um, you filled the book up with, um, you know, so many of uh, the variety like it wasn't like a oh, realism mm -hmm. and it wasn't this, yeah. it wasn't that. And there was like finished work in it and like things that is, they're barely perceptible as, as a drawing, meaning it's like a, 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 a two minute thumbnail right. of somebody just like, like, blah, just, I love how that there's that, that, that variety of art in it. It's not just like realism or it's not just, abstract expressionism or something it's, it's i wanted to, to appeal think. to a, a broad audience and not just people who think like they're interested in atelier training or or representational or realist training i wanted it to have a lot of concepts that were going to be appealing to a really broad audience of people who just want to get better at making and having a creative habit and then also in the images, like going from the very, very simple and like geometric, um, there's like a little geometric drawing by um, a young artist named Marie Milne, you know, or then going all the way to like Bo Bartlett and a multi-figure painting, you know, I wanted to lay out that, that, right, that art is a path 
and that you can start at the very beginning and you can follow that path as far as, you know, some of these really inspiring people have taken it. Um, but that it's all built on manageable, approachable practices that are then we keep as practices that we keep through intention and through not quitting, through building one step at a time and, and making it a part of our life and a part of ourselves. It's also the practice, just the way that you go about it, uh, it sort of relates to so many other things in people's lives that I think uh, people maybe who aren't necessarily going to be full-time artists, like you just get a way of living through just kind of essentially problem solving. It's it's like yeah. you problem solve drawing or, or making a picture and it's it's no different than problem solving like being a parent or you know i don't know figuring out tax policy <laughs> whatever you're right. doing. i've been really touched by um some people i know who are not artists retirees maybe were doctors you know who now they're like oh i got your book Oh, I'm like, I'm doing, I'm working my way through the exercises and I'm like shocked. I'm like, you are like, it's great. And, and that's really meaningful to me that someone who is really not experienced as an artist is able to just kind of like flip through and be engaged by it because we do, our life is enriched when we learn to observe things carefully, when you learn to notice little details and become engrossed and looking um, richly, you know, every aspect of your life can be fuller with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I, and I say this and, and I say this, uh, I, I want to be really honest. I think this book is going to become a classic must have. I really oh, believe I that. So. And I'm not saying that because I love you and you're my friend and everything. I do think it's, um, it's a thoughtful universal book, you know, it's not, it's not so specific and it's not so loose that it's kind of has, it's just like kind of fits right in this like really beautiful pocket of, I think it'll be a must have like an art spirit. Like, you know how like art spirits and like right. everybody's like, um, <laughs> I also think because I have kids and everything that I feel like books like, you know, the path of drawing by Patty Watwood should be in every school library. Right. Thinking That's about, I you know, writing a book that you wish you had when you were a young person. Exactly. Um, I think this is a good book, a really good book for especially college age and high school age um, kids. And I really wish that when I had embarked on, you know, the path of becoming an artist, that someone had really told me how hard some of the emotional stuff is, right? Yeah. And things like imposter syndrome, oh, that like everybody has or perfectionism, right? Like yeah. I really didn't learn. I learned that so much later. And I would love for young people to know, you know, if they're trying to make that those internal voices, that that sensor, um, the, the negative feelings that arise, that A, it's really common, that like everybody struggles with that, but then also that there are ways to, to manage it, right? And bringing mindfulness, you know, mindfulness, whether it's yoga, um, meditation. It really is about being, becoming aware of what our feelings are, what is the feeling that's happening, and then being able to make a decision about what do you need to do to respond to that feeling? Because our feelings, sometimes they hijack us, right? It's hard as an artist, we literally we really need our feelings. 
you need our emotional um, depth and vulnerability or else you can't make great art. But then at the same time, the, the feelings can really get in your way. So yeah. developing a really um, dialogue, a, a relationship with those feelings as they're emerging and learning how to manage them, going back to mental health, like taking care of your mental health, not just like sticking a bandage on it, but really like dig into those things, you know, make that a part of your life, that all of that is also part of uh, embracing a creative life. If you want it to, if you really want that to be your life. Patty, where can everybody get this? Where is the best place for people to find this book? It's available. So the publisher is um, Monticelli, which is part of Fiden. So it's available on Fiden's website. Um, and actually on my website, patriciawatwood.com, there's actually like a discount link um, for 20% oh, off. And um, also it says Mon uh, uh, Monticelli Press. Can they Monticelli Press? And they uh, do beautiful art and studio books, like Todd Casey's book, Juliet Aristides. Yeah, Todd's. Books. They're all Monticelli there. books. Really great. It's also all available books. on Amazon, and it's available in many bookstores. Um, like I've, it's at the Harvard University bookstore. It's at the what? I keep going to the Strand in New York City. It's it's not on the shelf there yet. <laughs> like maybe I'll well, just Strand sneak one is in there. Like when it hasn't sold, like books that that like they have access of wind up at yeah. Strand. So right. there's no access of the path of drawing yeah. lessons for everyday right. creativity. We hope it doesn't turn, turn up Strand. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you ever go? Do you ever feel like you're going to go into a few of them and just like take out a pen and start signing them? Like so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've always got a sharpie in my bag, friends. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Patty, thank you so much for taking yeah, the time you. and thank and you thank you for writing this book. Yeah, I think it's an amazing endeavor that you um, that you uh, took, and I think it's an important book. And um, I think we're all blessed to have something like that we can hold and read and and share. Because I know I'm going to be giving this to my my daughter to be like, here, read this. This this might help. Well, I really appreciate you guys giving me a chance to talk. It's great to talk to you both, you know, that we've been friends for so long about how we develop ourselves as artists and how we manage this life, right? Because it's not just about the craft. It is, it's mostly about the, the emotional stuff and having the support, like it's the conversations over the dinner table, right? That help Those are great. nurture yeah. these things. And, and um, if anybody out there is thinking about writing a book, I'll tell you, it was really, really hard. So, you know, like <laughs> you got to have your friends and you got to have your support around you. So I really appreciate you both. Yeah. Thank you so much, Patty. And the book is fantastic and congratulations. Thank you. It's been great. All right. All right. And, uh, and, and, and have a happy day painting and drawing and, and yes. doing all that fun stuff. All right. Bye everybody. All right. Bye. Bye everybody. Thank you.